Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's playoff time, and you know what that means: big stakes and even bigger promotions. Every day of the basketball playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. Want to know the best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings' free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. That's promo code THPN for a limited time, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for more details. This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. This is the Broadway Boys Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 53. Hey everyone, Andy here. I know you're used to hearing James, my co-host voice, but he's a little indisposed at the moment. But uh, you're in luck, because we have a very special guest today on the Broadway Boys Podcast. He is the host of the Tell It Abs It Is Podcast, covering the Colorado Avalanche here on the Hockey Podcast Network. So please give a warm Broadway Boys welcome for griffin young's griffin thank you so much for coming on the pod man yes my pleasure thanks so much for having me on it's always a pleasure to talk hockey especially when there's got no hockey of your own with your own team to watch oh exactly i mean one of the beauties here at the hockey podcast network is if we ever need to throw up the bat signal uh there's plenty of fascinating people to talk to and especially with their own takes with for uh what they've been through with their team and it's just kind of fun to kind of compare notes here in the offseason because like you said both uh the new york rangers and the colorado avalanche are currently not playing hockey uh the abs obviously clearly did a better job uh this year than the rangers so they got a little bit of taste of the postseason but uh yeah right now we have two teams outside looking in but uh they what we do have in common is both the rangers and the colorado avalanche 
have uh, Norris uh, Trophy finalists on their teams in Adam Fox and Kale McCarr. So before we talk about maybe uh, our feelings on our teams this season, I thought we could just do a little bit of Norris talk right off the top. Now, Kale McCarr missed some time this year, but he was fantastic before getting hurt, and he was fantastic after uh, returning from his injury. So did it surprise you that he that they actually nominated him for the Norris? No, it didn't surprise me. I was fully expecting him to get a nomination. I was I pretty much had him and Adam Fox locked down as my two picks and really it was the third one that was up in the air for me. I never liked the argument that McCarr shouldn't even get nominated because he missed a certain amount of games. He played 44 games this season and he, he missed about 14 of them, which, you know, in a shortened season is not nothing. It's a little significant, but it's it should still be enough to give credit to his play this season. It's not like he missed half of the year. And you could also see the difference in the Avalanche's defense without him, which I think can also speak to his value on that team. Well, that's an excellent point. I mean, he had 44 points in those 44 games, so he's a point per game as a defenseman, which is incredibly impressive. You could obviously argue if you prorate that, there's a very good chance had he had stayed healthy the whole time, he might have been the leading defenseman, led the league in defenseman scoring. Uh, and yeah, to your point, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think he should be knocked for missing the, that segment of games. Um, as to your other point, yeah, it is a little weird because obviously Fox and Makar are very worthy of this award. Uh, Victor Hedman, though, and this is no disrespect to a player of his caliber and stature, he didn't have his best, by most accounts, he didn't seem to have his best season this year, and yet he gets a, a nomination for the Norris Trophy. I mean, I believe there's an interview with him where he even says he's he's not playing his best hockey this season, especially compared to his monster performance in the bubble last year. So that was a bit of a head-scratcher, but as we know, the Norris has become... A little bit, much like uh, the Selkie, it's almost become a bit of a, uh, I guess you could say, lifetime achievement award, where if you don't, it's almost you have to, before you can even be considered for the award, you kind of have to have a reputation as a premier defenseman in the league, or in the case of the Selkie, a premier defensive forward. Hence why you still have some players like Alexander Barkov waiting for you know their first Selkie. Um, but it, I mean... As far as Fox and Makar goes, this it's pretty rare to have two defensemen in their first three seasons in the league, both nominated as finalists for this award. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a little bit weird because you have both sides of the coin. You have a changing of the guard with Makar and Fox getting nominated for the Norris in their sophomore seasons, which is kind of unprecedented with hockey writers nominating players that young. And you also have the the reputation pick in Victor Hedman. I mean, I'm of the belief that year over year, just looking at the last five years, Victor Hedman has been the best defenseman in the NHL. But there is, you really have to stretch to make a case for the Norris for him this season, especially with how deep the field was this year. There, there are probably 10 other guys that I think are going to get at least some amount of vote for the Norris this season. But going back to your point, I don't know if that's happened at all recently. You usually see a lot of the same guys get nominated 
over and over for this award. So to see McCarr and Fox getting it at the same time is pretty significant and hopefully something that we'll see a lot more of moving forward and hopefully moving more away from a a reputation award and a, a journeyman award and giving it to the people who probably deserve it more, no matter if they've been in the league for two years or 10. And listen, I don't get a, uh, clearly I do not get a, a ballot. I'm not a member of the pro hockey writers association, but if I had those ballots, I would have, uh, my third pick instead of had been most likely would have been Charlie McAvoy. So that would be three, three young guys. <laughs> and I just think that just shows you where, uh, the league is headed. And that's not to say that, you know, Chris Letang had an excellent year, even at his age. John Carlson put up big numbers again. Dougie Hamilton, uh, Jeff Petrie, uh, Petrie, whatever, is uh, having had a great regular season and he's been great in the playoffs. So there's definitely some older, more established defensemen that were worthy of the award. I mean, uh, Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick for the Islanders were an excellent shutdown pair this year. Probably one of the best uh, shutdown pairs in the league. But yeah, I just obviously, to your point before, it is kind of you, it becomes more of a, uh, yeah, it's Victor Hedman has clearly been the best defenseman over the last five seasons. And just if there was a game tomorrow, you know, winner take all and all be all. And I had to choose a defenseman. I would most likely choose Victor Hedman. But this, yeah, just this regular season, I, I don't think he had his best season. And I guess, you know, well, it remains to be seen what happens in the in the playoffs here in the, especially in the series with the Islanders, because he hasn't been uh, shaky per se, but he hasn't, you know, hasn't really been as impressive as he was last year. But if he can shore it up, I do wonder if that will tip the scale in his favor, because honestly, between Fox and Makar it, right now, it just has that feeling that Hedman's going to get it and he's been uh, anointed. So even, even before you can even vote on it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's a little annoying because Hedman is hurt, and that's not been a secret. He's been hurt for probably the last month of the regular season and for the entire playoffs. And like I was saying earlier, there's so many other guys that could get nominated, and all those guys you just listed, I agree with you. I also would have had Charlie McAvoy third on my ballot. I also, the Pelican Pollock in New York were an excellent shutdown pair, and Hedman is really getting this from reputation. And I think part of the problem comes from, we don't really know how to effectively analyze defensemen. And when it comes to the regular season, it's that there are too many games to watch. And early in the season, Victor Hedman was getting a lot of that Norris talk because he was pretty solid early in the season. It just, as it went on, he started to decline, whether it was just poor performance or through injury. He wasn't even getting like the toughest matchups for Tampa Bay as the season went on. And yet he, here he is potentially winning another Norris this year. So I'm, I just think there's a disconnect in how we as a collective measure defensemen, because I think we all agree that Fox and McCarr absolutely unequivocally should be on the ballot, but there's just most people I talk to agree that they had Charlie McAvoy third, and if not McAvoy, one of the other guys we listed earlier. And but somehow Victor Hedman has found his way on here. And we you even look back at last season, Drew Doughty was getting votes for the Norris last season. I, I even recall either last year or two seasons ago, Zdeno Chara 
was getting Norris votes, not big Norris votes, but like fourth or fifth. But you're telling yeah. me Zdeno Chara at 43 years old was a top five defenseman in the NHL? Like there, there's there's a disconnect here. So I'm glad to see that Makar and Fox are getting the nominations. And I, I fully believe that one of them is going to win it. But there's there's still a bit of work to be done because I, again, fully respect Victor Hedman. Like you said, if there's a if there's a draft, the first defenseman to go is Victor Hedman, absolutely. And in a healthy season, he's probably going to win another Norris again. He just suffered through a bit this season, but this was a reputation pick. Yeah, and again, you have to hope that one of well, at least I'm sure you and I hope that one of Fox or Makar wins the award. But at the same time, I think I am mentally preparing myself for Hedman to just get it based on reputation, especially considering everything uh, he did in the bubble last year and just how this award seems to go. But it is a uh, it is obviously a very promising sign that you have two young defensemen of this caliber uh, as finals for this award. And I think Obviously, they both have a lot of runway in front of them in terms of their NHL career. So I'm sure they will find themselves in this conversation again uh, in their careers. I do want to pivot to the Avalanche, um, you know, getting eliminated from the postseason after a very strong first round. And I, I, you know, who better to give me their take on where that you think one might think they need to make adjustments or what went wrong per se or what they could have done better or if hell is there anything they could have done better just running into a very strong uh, Vegas team Uh, so yeah Griffin what is your post-mortem on the abs this season Uh, especially just the way the you know just how it went for them in the postseason I think it really just comes down to they went toe-to-toe with a team that tied with them in points in the regular season with the same schedule. And they took their foot off the gas in games two through four, and they lost two coin flips in games five and six and Vegas is moving on. And they're not, I don't know if there's really any big changes that they have to make. I fully believe that this avalanche team is going to look a bit different next season, whether that's intentional or not, they've got plenty of contracts to work on. This offseason, I mean, in the episode that's going to be coming out for me pretty soon, I talked a lot about Gabe Landeskog's next contract. And obviously the big one, Kale McCarr, is up this offseason as well. But the Avalanche, they just kind they went up 2-0 in the series. And they didn't deserve to win game two, but they did anyway. They were in a real good spot. And they were five minutes away from being up 3-0 in that series. And then a minute later... They're down 3-2 in that game. All of a sudden, Vegas is back in the series. And while they played a little better in Game 4, Vegas ran them out of the building with that 5-1 score. And I really liked how they played in Game 5, but they made three mistakes that led to three turnovers, and all three of them went in the back of the net. And in Game 6, they checked a lot of boxes for me and things I wanted to see. They got that early goal. They got Nathan McKinnon rolling with two assists. They got Mr. Elimination Game Andre Burakovsky scoring a goal. They got a power play goal from Miko Rantanen, and yet they still lost 6-3. to And when you win a President's Trophy and you don't get out of the second round, there's going to be a lot of backlash from fans and the media. But when I look at the big picture of this team, 
you really just have to stay the course because there is still a lot of youth on this team. I mean, we just raved about Kale McCarr, but one of the main points of that conversation is that Kale McCarr just had his sophomore season and he's being nominated for the Norris right now. And Sam Gerrard is taking a lot of heat right now from Avalanche fans. But I think we sometimes forget that Sam Gerrard is on an outstanding contract. Like, I don't see anyone outside of immediate Avalanche connections talk about this. Sam Gerrard, this was his first season of a seven-year deal that pays him $5 million per, which is outstanding. And he is only 23 years old. He's not going to be 24 until halfway through the playoffs next year. He's still young. And this is his, it's going to be his fifth full season in the NHL next year. There's still growth to be had here. And we didn't even see Bo Byram in the playoffs. So there's still growth that needs to be done. There's still There are still things that are going to need to be added. I mean, a lot of people talk about that they need more size on their defense. I mean, Ryan Graves is a big boy. He's 6'5", and he's probably not going to be on the team next year. I wouldn't complain about having like a Jamie Alexiak on the team next year or someone like that on like the third pair, but really I think they just need to stay the course a bit. And if there is any team that needs to bet on their talent, it's this one because I've heard the unfair comparison that this team chokes and that they're the new Washington Capitals. Now, I know a thing or two about the Washington Capitals being from the DMV. This is not at all the same thing. I have lived through all of those heartbreaks with Washington. This does not compare. This Colorado team has made the playoffs for four straight years. First year, they took the President's Trophy winning Predators to six games, probably a game farther than it should have, respectable series. The next year, they knock off the top team in the West in five games, and they go to a seven-game war with the San Jose Sharks and just come a bit short, just a goal short with an undermanned team. And the next year, they go into the bubble. That whole thing is a blur. It's a bizarre circumstance on its own. And they lose a hard-fought seven-game series to Dallas without both of their goaltenders. They're playing Michael Hutchinson in elimination games. They're down 3-1 in that series. They force a game seven up late in the third period and they just can't keep Dallas out of it and Dallas wins it in overtime there painful loss but there was an excuse there this year I feel like is the first one where we're like okay that's a failure you failed to get past Vegas but we also need to understand that's Vegas Vegas who I would say is probably the only other team that I would say could have beaten us this season. Maybe Tampa could have done it. Maybe New York could have done it, or the the Islanders, I mean, because the Rangers obviously not in it. But outside of Vegas, I really don't think any other team had as as good of a shot to beat us. And to lose to that team is one thing. If we lost to St. Louis in the first round, this is a completely different conversation. But we didn't. We swept them. We proved we are well above that quality of play. I think we ran in to the other best constructed team in the NHL and we just fell short. And yes, it's a failure. Yes, we need to evaluate a few things, but we need to stay the course here. This is not a Toronto choking to Montreal. This is not a Capitals can't get past the second round. This is a very good hockey team that is going absolutely nowhere anytime soon and needs to bet on their talent. 
Well, it's very well said. I mean, one of the benefits of being the Colorado Avalanche, not only is your immediate future bright, your future future is even brighter because they also happen to have one of the best prospect pools in the entire league. And like you said, maybe there will be some changes with some players moving on or pricing themselves out. But we saw just how well an Alex Newhook, the flashes of brilliance from him, how he might look in the future. Uh, we still haven't seen players like Martin Kaut and some of the energy they might provide if once they make this lineup. Uh, some great prospects in the back end and guys like Justin Barron haven't even stepped foot on the ice for the Avalanche yet. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The future is bright for this team. Yeah, uh, not even mentioning Bo Byram. Yeah, and not even, like I said, not even mentioning Bo and, you know, effing Byram. So uh, one player I do want to ask specifically about is Nazem Kadri. Um, obviously again, finds himself on the outside looking in in an important series where maybe he definitely could have uh, made his presence felt or could have been a pivotal player for the Avalanche. Uh, but, you know, again, for I think the second time in three seasons, he finds himself or three postseasons, he finds himself uh, suspended during an important round. Uh, what do you think happens with Kadri? Do you think they just chalk it up to they know what they have in him and that it's kind of the cost of doing business with a player like him, that he's going to play his game and sometimes that might find him you know, getting a supplemental discipline? Or do you think, do you think they feel that maybe they cannot rely on him and might have to move on sooner rather than later? You know, this is one of the more interesting things that I'm watching in this offseason for the Avalanche. Because to be completely honest with you, I do not have a clue what they're going to do with Nazem Kadri. When you look at his contract, you see that he makes $4.5 million. He's entering the final year of his deal. That's a solid contract for your second line center. It's not like he's an albatross. You can hold on to that for one more year. And if he does it again next year, you don't have to worry about it again in the future because he walks. But on the other hand, Joe Sackick always has something up his sleeve. He's had something up his sleeve for the last several seasons, whether it be with uh, the Devon Tays trade or an Andre Burakovsky trade or a Brandon Saad trade. I wonder if Nazem Kadri gets packaged in another deal. I don't. See, when this happened, my immediate reaction was, how can you bring this guy back when he has been suspended in three of the last four postseasons? The only time he wasn't was in the bubble last year. And we got him because he did this stuff in Toronto. Both times the Leafs played the Bruins, he got himself suspended within the first two games of that series and watched as the Bruins eliminated the Leafs. And he did the same this year, except just not against the Blues. He watched as Vegas eliminated the Avalanche. He did not step on the ice again any of those times afterwards. But I would honestly say it's it's 50-50 because he's shown that you can't rely on him in the postseason. You just can't. Even if you get through those first two games now, you're going to be holding your breath every single time he is on the ice and the Avalanche don't have the puck. Every time he's in a scrum, you're going to be holding your breath because you can't trust him. The best indication of future behavior is previous behavior. And if getting traded from your hometown team in Toronto, I mean, Kadri was born in Ontario and he was drafted by the Leafs in 2009. And if getting traded from that team doesn't wake you up, I don't know. Like, 
So I, I really wish I had a more definitive answer for you, but to be quite honest, I just don't know what they're going to do with this guy. I feel like they're going to keep him, but with Joe Sackick, he's an excellent general manager. And if Kadri is not on this team next year, it'll be because he has something up his sleeve. He won't just trade him for pennies on the dollar or leave him exposed in the expansion draft. Will definitely be something to uh, keep an eye out for, uh, especially with a lot of teams. This uh, going to this offseason, there's been much has been said about a lot of teams looking to get a little bit uh, tougher to play against. And, you know, uh, you take the good with the bad, but a player like Kadri, he does bring a, he's definitely tough to play against. Just unfortunately, sometimes he can be his own worst enemy. Um, I do want to change, turn the discussion behind the bench. Uh, The New York Rangers, officially hire Gerard Gallant as their head coach today. And I, and we'll be talking about that with uh, my co-host James once he returns for our podcast. It drops next Monday. But I do want to ask you about uh, Jared Bednar and your assessment of how he's done as the coach of the Avalanche so far. Do you Is there anything that is giving you pause in his ability to take this team to the promised land? Do you think it's just yet another... Uh, example of just like you had said earlier, just staying the course and not being too reactionary, or there's some adjustments, maybe even just from him, you would like to see as he, if he's going to continue as the coach of the Colorado Avalanche. I really have no qualms with Jared Bednar, honestly. I think he's a great coach and the right coach for this team. But for the life of me, I cannot understand why we had to ride and die with Patrick Nemeth in this offseason when we had Bo Byram sitting on the bench and waiting. I think against Vegas, he got stubborn, and I wouldn't say he got outcoached. I mean, he made a lot of adjustments with the top line as it struggled throughout that series. He put the lines in blenders, and the teams responded well. But playing Patrick Nemeth over both Bo Byram and Jacob McDonald this offseason frustrated me a lot. It's not even close to a fireable offense. And I would, I'm not calling for his head on a plate, but that was a very frustrating thing to watch for most of the season. There's a, there's a certain contingent of avalanche fans that do not love Jared Bednar and think that he cannot coach this team to a Stanley cup. I don't agree with that. I think you can absolutely win a Stanley cup with Jared Bednar as your head coach. It's just, That thing for me got on my nerves. It felt stubborn and it felt like actively putting your team at a detriment when Nemeth showed that he's just not that good. And I know we traded for him at the deadline and you want to play players that you trade for, but the fact that Byram didn't even play a single game in the playoffs was just stubborn. But in terms of the whole season, Bednar is a great coach and I things would have to go horrifically wrong next season for him to not return the season after that he's obviously going nowhere this season and like I just said something would have to go very horrifically wrong because I've seen no indication that the team doesn't like him there's just a there's a few people that they just want someone to blame I think and a lot of that blame falls either on Bednar or Grubauer they seem to be the two targets of anger for Avalanche fans most of the time but no, I, I like Bednar. He's going nowhere, and things would have to go horrifically wrong for that to change next season. 
Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're going to love Bar Down Breakdown, a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, 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 you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, like, well, maybe we should wear Montreal jerseys. And the NHL was like, mm, I think you should stay neutral. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. On our podcast, James and I usually will allude to the Colorado Avalanche as a almost aspirational model for this current Rangers team that is currently very, very young, uh, just in terms of a team that plays with pace and a lot of skill, uh, but also has clearly adopted uh, more of a attack mentality because, you know, I think which as opposed to some of the other heavier teams out there that I think as currently constructed, uh, the New York Rangers are definitely not in the vein of those teams, but just looking at, uh, especially on the back end, looking at guys like McCarr and Gerard who are more, maybe, you know, they're definitely not heavy, you know, heavy bruisers. They can obviously handle their own, but it's more about retrieving pucks with speed, moving the puck up the ice uh, with skating and speed and, and just uh, crisp passes and moving the puck quickly. And especially when you have players like McKinnon up front, even players like Rantanen, who are bigger guys, uh, and even Landeskog, who's not the most fleet of foot, but just uh, team speed and and you know individual player speed are two totally different things. Um, so I did actually want to ask you specifically uh, about the bottom six of the Avalanche, uh, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm I'm not the most up on, but between younger players like Newhook getting a look uh, on the fourth line. Like you said, uh, Mr. Elimination, Andre Burakovsky, uh, Tyson Jost, uh, Eunice Donskoy, Pierre Edward Belmar, who I feels like he's been in the league forever, but he continues to be a, a pretty important player. Uh, wh- how, how, what are your feelings on the bottom six for the Avs this year? Because right now, one of the glaring holes in the New York Rangers lineup is uh, their bottom six, or at least players miscast there. What I, I do want to get your feelings, especially a guy like Tyson Jost, who I think has I've you know from the outside looking in has seemed to be maligned for maybe some of the promise of what he could eventually become and but there seems to he seems to have found a, at least a pretty nice spot uh, in that bottom six and on that third line. I liked the Avalanche's bottom six for most of the season this year. I mean, when we got to the playoffs and Kadri was out of the lineup with the suspension, it got tested a little bit. But with Kadri in the lineup, there really was not much to complain about. You had your second line of ideally being Burakovsky, Kadri, and Saad. And I love the third line on this team. When you ideally of Tyson Jost, Val Nachushkin, and Jonas Donskoy. Honestly, when we got to the playoffs, that was probably one of our most productive lines. Maybe not in terms of points, but they brought it every single night. And the guy that I I fell in love with 
this season, and he unfortunately didn't play a ton due to some injuries, is Logan O'Connor. Hopefully he does not get taken by Seattle and he can fly under the radar enough, but this guy is just a, a monster. He brings a lot of energy to the lineup, and I really hope we can see more of him in the app with the Avalanche next season. But I think you're going to see a lot of auditions next year with the Avalanche. I think some guys you just mentioned, like Belmar, are going to leave. A guy we traded for, Carl Soderberg, is probably walking out the door. Well, actually, Soderberg is going back to Sweden, I saw today, so he will not be returning. But Belmar, 36 years old, I don't see a way that he comes back. But a guy like Alex Newhook almost certainly is going to be a regular on this team next season, just a matter of where. Sampo Ranta made his... NHL debut in games one and two against Vegas. He has the best nick, best nickname in the NHL, by the way, with Rambo Santa. I absolutely love that guy and hope he has a, <laughs> a strong career with the Avalanche. But also guys like guys they plugged in for most of the season, like Kiefer Sherwood and guys guys like that for the most part. And I think the bottom six on this team was one of its strengths with just how strong their their top six was it allowed a guy like Jonas Donskoy to plug down in the lineup a little bit and it allowed a, a Tyson Jost who doesn't have great offensive talent but who excels at a two-way game to really like find his confidence and refine his game and allow Logan O'Connor to bring some energy to a fourth line goal fourth line role and even with a, a JT Kompfer who faced a lot of I'd say criticism with the avalanche this season, it allowed him to be sheltered a little more and not have to be forced into like a, a role that he wouldn't be ready for in the top six while he struggled. But when it comes to the Rangers and the comparison with the avalanche, that's, I honestly see it because something I've said on my show a little bit in the past when just when the Rangers do come up is I could see that potentially as a Stanley cup final matchup, someday in the future on the tra- with the trajectory these two teams are on because with just they did it a little differently but the avalanche and the rangers ended up acquiring a ton of of young talent the rangers ended up doing it more naturally through the draft lottery while the avalanche did it more through fleecing the ottawa senators and the predators for all their picks and prospects but i i definitely see the comparison with these two teams and with the Rangers, yeah, maybe their bottom six could use a little work, but that's nothing that can't be fixed in the offseason, I don't think, especially with the defense. That's not that's all stuff that can just be taken care of in the relative future. I mean, you look at the Avalanche's depth and you look at how they got a lot of these guys. I mean, we drafted Tyson Jost in 2016. We signed Jonas Donskoy. We traded for Brandon Saad, we signed a Matt Calvert, we signed a Pierre-Edward Belmar, we got a Carl Soderberg at the trade deadline, and even guys like Logan O'Connor, we signed him to an ELC. It's all things that can end up being worked out in the future. A Val Nachushkin, we signed him to just a standard contract after he was bought out by Dallas. So you can find ways to build a solid bottom six, even if there is a lot of turnover. Well, it's said, you, you know, as a GM, you either better be very good at uh, drafting and developing or very good at uh, making trades and winning trades. And clearly you have uh, Joe Sackick is clearly a master when it comes to uh, winning trades against uh, 
uh, his fellow GMs around the league because, man, just some some of the moves that have been made and some of the players that the Avalanche have acquired for relatively uh, without doing very little damage to their own roster has been definitely a marvel to behold, you know, so. I do want to, for this final segment, I, I want to talk about uh, the playoffs as it stands now. We're in the semifinal round. Uh, four teams left. Uh, the Islanders and the Lightning tied one game apiece. Uh, as we record this podcast, uh, the Montreal Canadiens are up two goals to nothing on in game two against Vegas. So that's very well a series that could also be tied at uh, one game apiece. And it it seems like the parity of these final four teams is pretty pretty close. I you know you can maybe say these there are teams that we feel are better, or I, I don't want to speak for you, Griffin, but I feel that even though there might be teams I think that are ultimately better teams, the the way the league is and the parity of these final four teams, and especially the way they're all playing and competing right now, there's very I feel very little separates them. So I did want to get your thoughts on which teams you see advancing uh, beyond the Stanley Cup semifinal to the cup final? Well, the series between Tampa Bay and the Islanders is a, a fascinating series for me. I think that series is more than likely going to go the full seven now that we've seen the first two games of that series and saw how those two teams went back and forth and how they went head-to-head last year in the bubble. I think they're almost destined to go a full seven this time. I have Tampa Bay coming out on top there just with their amount of talent, but the Islanders have shown that I mean, this is their second straight time in the final four. I mean, they're definitely for real. And even though they might not have like a Nikita Kucherov or a Steven Stamkos, they get production from all four of their lines and they get outstanding goaltending in Tampa Bay. I mean, as a defending champs, what what else can you say about them? I mean, the, the only gripe against them is that they're icing a team that's well over $10 million over the salary cap. But that whole thing's been beaten to death well enough in the past, but I love that series. I think it's going to be a very entertaining seven game series. And it's going to be interesting now because the Islanders have home ice over these final few games, because even if it does go the full seven, you got three games at Nassau and only two games in Tampa Bay. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of that series turns out when it comes to the other series between the, the golden Knights and the Canadians. I know the Canadians are winning right now, but I, I would be shocked if Vegas is not moving on to the, the Stanley Cup final here. I mean, if Vegas beats Colorado and then they lose to Montreal, I won't know how to feel because I, I personally do not like Vegas at all. That's just my personal opinion. But I also would not know how to feel if we got beat by them in four straight games and then immediately Vegas goes out and loses to the Montreal Canadiens, who I said coming into the playoffs round one, the Canadians are the worst team in the playoffs. So maybe that's my karma or my penance for saying that. But Montreal, the Canadian division is not good. I've been of that opinion all season. It's not good. Toronto was really the only semi-passable team there. They choked epically against the Canadians in the first round. And as we saw in the second round, Winnipeg is not that good. And Montreal really took them to town for everything that they're worth and embarrassed them. And the Canadians are a solid team. And I think the games themselves are going to be interesting. And yes, they're up two to nothing right now over Vegas, but I see Vegas winning that series in five. 
I don't I don't want to disrespect the Canadians too much or sound like I mean they they deserve to be where they're at with the circumstances being what they are. I mean, it's not like they begged for the Canadian division to be created. I mean, they're they've done the best with the circumstances that they've had and they've gotten rewarded for it, but for Montreal to beat Vegas, I think would probably be one of the biggest upsets of the last few years, probably one of the biggest since Columbus beat Tampa Bay in 2019 honestly, and probably one of the biggest since probably Montreal beat either Pittsburgh in the bubble last year, back when they beat Washington back in 2010, just sure there's parody that'll make these games competitive, but the way Vegas is built, I'm just, for them to lose four games to Montreal when they rattled off four straight wins against Colorado, who was their equal in every way in the regular season, I just, I won't be able to wrap my brain around that. I definitely agree with you on that one. Uh, but again, this is the NHL and sometimes for inexplicable reasons, uh, teams based on nothing but the power of friendship go on Cinderella runs. And listen, Carrie Price uh, seems to finally think that maybe I should play up to the level that everyone has held me at the last five years, despite being nowhere near that. And he's been very good in the postseason, probably one of the best goaltenders in the postseason, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how how this game ends up. And uh, Montreal, I definitely, from a stylistic standpoint, it definitely does seem like their system gives the Golden Knights a little bit more trouble than maybe you know they're they're so good at uh, slowing teams, especially when you have guys like Stone on the in the, the neutral zone who can just patrol and take pucks away uh, with a deft stick. But yeah, m- listen, uh, they're forechecking heavily and they're moving the puck quickly and they're getting it behind them and they're going to work. So, but that's a it's a tall order to do that against uh, this Vegas team, you know, for for four games in a row. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, as far as the Islanders and Tampa, again, you know, Tampa had a, a a tape to definitely should have burned the tape on that first game. They were sloppy and forcing passes and looked disjointed. But they've had a few performances like that. They definitely don't look as dialed in, maybe as they did uh, in the bubble last year. Uh, although. You know, we did watch see them. They took care of uh, Carolina with expert precision. They looked pretty <laughs> dialed in there. But again, they've had a few performances uh, in the first round, and then especially in Game One versus the Islanders, where they looked a little shaky and disjointed. But uh, again, you know, player when once players like Kucherov find their footing and Braden Point gets going, uh, yeah, it's a hard team to hard to run with those horses. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, before we, Griffin, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's great to to talk hockey with you and to especially, like I said, James and I look at the abs as hopefully an aspirational uh, tract for this New York Rangers team. So, yeah, just before uh, we wrap up here, I did want to get some of your predictions for some of the trophies around the NHL. Um and we'll keep it to the major ones because I know there's like 20 trophies. I'm not going to ask you the Marc Messier Leadership Award. But uh, uh, I mean, uh, as far as the Hart Trophy, we it's going to Connor McDavid. Am I right? Yeah. It's, even it's to... going to Connor McDavid. Unequivocally. Okay. okay. Uh, the Selkie Trophy. Do you have do you have any predictions on that? Or hell, even if you're not happy with the, the, uh, the finalists. Do you have any predictions or who you would nominate for the Selkie? We have uh, obviously Mark Stone for Vegas, Alexander Barkov and Patrice Bergeron, who are actually, I would say, are three pretty deserving finalists in their own right. Uh, 
you know, if it was me, I, I don't know how you could really go wrong with any of those guys. Maybe, I don't know if Bergeron has had, by his own standards, the, you know, maybe one of the better defensive seasons of his career, but he was still good because he's Patrice Bergeron. Uh, Mark Stone was obviously excellent. He might be who I, if I had a ballot, would put in my vote for. But also Barkov, again, I don't know if he had his strongest defensive season, but he was very strong offensively and still played defense as for a forward at a high level, or at least had his defensive impacts were high. But uh, who do you think wins, ends up winning the Selkie? And is there anyone else that you, if you had a vote, you would vote for? The Selkie is a very strange trophy because it's basically the Norris, but nobody knows what they're talking about at all. But exactly. ironically, this ironically this year, I think they did kind of get the candidates right. There's always this, the Selkie is a weird trophy because it's dependent a lot on point totals and not actually about forward to excel at defense. But I think I would have had Mark Stone being the winner on my ballot regardless. I think they got that one absolutely right. And while Bergeron is definitely a bit of a reputation. He, I think I would still have him on my ballot this year because he was still strong defensively. Maybe I wouldn't have had him in the past couple years, but this year I think he did deserve it. With Barkov, it's weird because I think he deserved nominations in the past, but this year I'm not entirely sure because I think it honestly has more to do with the fact that the Panthers were good this year and not that Barkov was actually as good defensively as he's been in the past. Not to say that he wasn't good defensively this year, but top three, I'm, I don't know. Because, like I said, the Selkie, it's defensive play while also mixing in point totals. Because no, it's not like none of these guys are third liners who are just complete shutdown players because if it was based on that you'd probably see like a, a Marcus Foligno in here or a Joel Erickson Eck or a Zach Aston Reese but it really does have to do with point totals but looking at the award as it is I would have Mark Stone winning it based on the reaction I've seen in social media I think Mark Stone is going to win it I think Bergeron might end up being second and probably Barkov in third. Yeah, I can't really, uh, yeah, can't really disagree with that. Uh, moving on to the Vezina trophy, the finals being Mark Andre Fleury for Vegas, uh, Philip Grubauer from your very own Colorado avalanche and Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. Again, three, those are another three solid picks. Uh, you know, it, you, a part of me would maybe like to see Connor Hellebuck get some love, although uh, I don't know if the league and the people voting on these awards can reconcile being a good goaltender on a really porous <laughs> defensive team and uh, how to quantify that. But again, you, uh, all three of the, the players nominated had excellent seasons and it'd be pretty hard to, yeah, it'd be pretty hard to find too much fault with those finalists. Uh, who would you pick? to win the Vesna and, or is there any, do you think there's someone else who should have got some love that uh, was not nominated? The Vesna, I was a little conflicted on this season because 
Vasilevsky and Flurry, I think, yeah, they deserve to be on the ballot. I have Vasilevsky winning it, absolutely. He was the best goalie in the NHL this season. And Philip Grubauer absolutely deserved to be nominated. He definitely had a career year this season, and he was one of the big reasons that the Avalanche were as good as they were, especially considering the fact that we had no backup goalie for a strong portion of the season with Pavel Francouz out before the puck even dropped on the season all the way until the season ended. But there is the argument to be made that Grubauer played behind the best defense in the NHL, and that definitely boosted his stats a little bit, especially when you look at save percentage, goals against average, and wins, which is what most people look at to judge goalies. He led a lot of those categories and shutouts as well. He led in that too. But when you dig a little deeper into the numbers, a guy like Connor Hellebuck, like you said, might have had a better season. Or someone who I can I would have considered putting on my ballot would have been UC Soros in Nashville because without him, Nashville would not have made the playoffs. He was absurd to down the stretch pretty much since the trade deadline to end the season for the Predators. I think there are five really deserving goalies this year, and Grubauer deserved to be on there. It's just, I think it's a matter of opinion whether you preferred Hellebuck or Soros on the list. I w- if Grubauer didn't make it, and if it was one of those two, I don't think I would have complained either way, but I think Vasilevsky's going to win it. Flurry's in number two. I mean, I'm Flurry might end up winning it just because it might be like he's been around so long and people like him so much, so he might just get it kind of thing. But in terms of best goalie, it was Vasilevsky. And I would have maybe had Hellebuck or Saros on there, but Grubauer's just as deserving all the same. It was definitely interesting to get that perspective on it because admittedly, I have watched a good amount of Tampa this year, but didn't get to watch much of outside of hearing about how good Grubauer and Flurry were this season. I didn't get to watch too much of them. So, yeah, definitely interesting to hear that. But I agree. I think Vasilevsky was uh, probably on top of. Well, I mean, technically, I, I do think, again, Connor Hellebuck should have gotten a little bit more love, but uh, considering the circumstances in front of him. But Vasilevsky is kind of hard to argue with. He was flat out dominant at times. And. Uh, yeah, made things easy for the Bolts. And finally, I don't really know if there'll be too much uh, hemming and hawing over this one. Uh, the Calder Memorial Trophy. I mean, it's Kaprizov's to lose, right? Yeah, it's Kaprizov's to lose. Jason Robertson made a nice push for it a little bit in the season where he had like, there was, there was like a debate for like a few days as to maybe whether or not Jason Robertson should get that vote in Dallas. But Kaprizov... Pretty much in his next five games, I'm pretty sure scored a goal in every single one of them after that and put that debate to bed right there. Ever ever since he scored the overtime winner in his first game, he essentially had this trophy on lockdown from the beginning. And remind me again who the third one was. Was I? It just keeps slipping my mind. I. It's a. It was Robertson Kaprizov. Yes, it was Alex Nedeljkovic from Carolina. Nedeljkovic. That's who it was. I had his name on the tip of my tongue. Nedeljkovic had an outstanding season with Carolina. And if I'm not mistaken, he was on waivers earlier to begin the season. So for him to go from clearing waivers to making the Calder ballot and starting the playoffs for the Hurricanes is an impressive feat nonetheless, and probably going to be their starting goaltender for the 
the near future, at least for them. So while he's not going to win it, it was good to see him come on strong and uh, take that nomination from a guy like uh, Tim Stutzla or the the goaltender in Chicago, who was probably going to get nominated for most of the season if it ended early. Kevin Lankinen, whose name I blanked on a little bit there, yeah, but no, Lankinen, yeah, Kevin Lankinen, he if the season ended 20 games in, he would have gotten a nomination and Stutzla made a nice little case for himself early on as well. But it's Kaprizov's 100% unequivocally. He's going to run away with it. Jason Robertson had a strong season with Dallas. He's going to get second and Nendelkovich definitely going to get third. All those guys were pretty well deserving, but Kaprizov was just in a completely different universe this season when it came to the rookie class. Rarefied air. Oh, as as we record this, Montreal goes up three nothing. Griffin, thank you so much uh, for coming on the pod today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk hockey with you uh, and to get your perspective on the Avalanche this season. Uh, if listeners of this podcast want to find you on social media, uh, can you tell us where they can do that? Yeah, you can follow me personally at G Young's NHL. Uh, if you want to follow the show for just purely avalanche takes, it is tell it abs. It is just like that. Exactly how it sounds. My personal account, I tweet out my articles. I write for fansided.com every now and again, and just more general NHL coverage. Tell it abs. It is like I said, just pure avalanche talk, avalanche coverage and new episodes for the tell it abs. It is podcast come out wherever you get your podcasts every Monday and Thursday. By the time you're awake, they come out at 3 a.m. Eastern time every morning. So by the time you wake up, there is a new episode to get more avalanche hockey in your ears. And by the time this is up, I'll have another episode up discussing Gabriel Landeskog's current contract situation and everything else that's been happening with the, the semifinals. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This is honestly my favorite thing to do just to come on and talk hockey. Well, we'll definitely have to get you on again, especially when my co-host James is here, uh, especially going into the offseason. The draft is coming up. Uh, the Avs have a first-round pick. They have a late, uh, late first-round pick. Yep, and the Rangers have a middling first-round pick. I think they're picking it technically 16, but with Arizona forf- forfeiting their pick, I guess it's they're picking 15th, but it, they still have to call it 16th, which is kind of strange, but whatever. Uh, yeah, thank you for everyone for listening at home. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod. Uh, like Griffin said, episodes drop uh, 3 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. And we will be back next Monday with James, and we will break down the Rangers uh, officially hiring Gerard Gallant behind the bench. So everyone, enjoy your weekend and enjoy the rest of the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Thank you for listening to the Broadway Boys Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod, and please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.